Welcome to the Kingdom Roots Podcast with Scott McKnight, the conversation designed to look at how the kingdom took root then and how it's taking root now. Today on our podcast, we're going to be looking at the question, how can we pray like Jesus? Scott, you know, when we talk about prayer, there's there's a number of questions that come to mind, like, you know, what are we supposed to do when we pray? Uh, why should we pray even in the first place? Uh, but I think the probably the most important question and the place where we'll start today is how can we as followers of Jesus pray like Jesus in our life and as we follow God? So to get started, any thoughts on that to get us going? Yeah, you know, I, I would also add that uh, it's not simply why should we pray, but many people feel guilty about prayer. And uh, I, I think people pray, I'm with Eugene Peterson, I think people pray a lot more than they acknowledge in their ruminations, in their ponderings, in their thinking, in their writing. Uh, they, they are, they are, They've turned toward God somewhat, and everything then becomes an offering of prayer. But, um, you know, you asked the question uh, about Jesus and prayer, and, and I find this to be so important, Chaz, that we have so many models of how to pray. We have so many people telling us to pray more. We have so many people telling us how to pray uh, when to pray, how often to pray, and making people feel bad about their lack of prayer. Mm-hmm. And I find it encouraging and refreshing and over my life of prayer and over my time with many people to whom I've spoken uh, about prayer and in preaching about prayer, that learning about how Jesus prayed can be very, very important. And And I want to put it this way, that Jesus grew up among a praying people. Uh, Let us simply suppose, and I will assume, that Jesus's mother and Jesus's father both prayed because they were Jewish, and every sign we have of them in the early chapters of the Gospel of Luke and the beginning of of the Gospel of Matthew, everything we, we see about them is that they were pious, deeply pious, People who prayed, people who observed the Torah, people who fit right in with the hopes and expectations of the covenant and the Bible. So let's just say that Jesus grew up uh, among people who prayed. Um, and and what did, how did they pray? What did they do? Well, the first thing that would strike any first century Roman journalist who wandered somehow into Galilee or Judea and started paying attention to the religious life, as it were, of the typical observant Jew would have seen that they prayed three times a day. It was just the way they lived. If you've been anywhere in the Middle East that has a Muslim presence, you will know that there's a minaret and at every time that there's an hour of prayer, it's gonna you're gonna hear it. Uh, yeah. uh, and we were this summer in Turkey, and we were staying in a in a village south of Nicaea uh, at a hotel, and we did not know this, uh, but our window was open, 
it was a, it was a beautiful, it was plenty, it was very comfortable in our room, but the, the window was open and boom, in the middle of the night, mm-hmm. uh, or at least it was the middle of the night to our sleep patterns. Uh, we were awakened by people praying. Now this, this is the point. I'm not talking about how Muslims prayed, but how Jews prayed. Uh, Muslims developed their theory of prayer from the Jews. And it's simply this, that, that Jews learn to pray three times a day. So uh, we, we see things uh, in Daniel that he went up on his roof and he prayed uh, at the hour of prayer. We see the apostles in Acts chapter, in the early chapters of Acts, going to the temple at the hour of prayer. Jesus criticizes hypocrites. We, we tend to equate these with Pharisees, and probably in Matthew's mind, they're the, the Pharisees, but uh, that they, they love to find themselves in conspicuously public places at the hour of prayer. So the first thing we learn about prayer from Jesus is that he prayed according to sacred rhythms of time. In the evening and in the morning and at midday, the psalmist says, I will pray, I will complain and lament, and the Lord will hear my voice. Uh, all Jews prayed, all observant Jews prayed in the evening, they prayed in the morning, and they prayed at midday. Now, with you know that being the, the Jewish tradition and, and rituals for prayer, is that something that the rest of the Roman world, looking at the Jewish people, would have thought, well, this is bizarre that these people pray this regularly and this often? Or did they have their own rituals of prayer in their daily life? Uh, you know, it's, it's hard to characterize Romans and Greeks in their religious life because it wasn't simply— uh, it wasn't as de- it, it, you, we tend to use Jewish and Christian categories to explain what they're doing. It, it's not mm-hmm. the same. But Romans and Greeks had altars in their homes. They had temples and places in a sense of worship or sacrifice in their cities and in the public. And it was very common for a Roman to adapt to the local village or city wherever he or she was. And they would uh, simply participate in the religious offerings of that village. So, yes, there. I don't know about sacred rhythms of, of daytimes. I don't mm-hmm. think that's the case. I don't know that evidence uh, like that. But I, I'm not aware that Romans and Greeks had designated times of prayer. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can always guess that people pray when they go to bed because they become afraid or they wake up afraid. But— um, uh, so I, I think it was common for Jews, and it is told of us in, in the Didache in a late first century, probably late first century, document of the earliest Christians that breathes the air of the Gospel of Matthew, that the earliest Christians prayed the Lord's Prayer three times a day. Mm-hmm. So so here's the way I would—I I think it's not only the case that Christians prayed or Jesus prayed according to a sacred rhythm of time. I think it's also the case that we learn— what they prayed. And this is really important for people who struggle a bit with prayer. And I cannot tell you the number of people who have told me or written me letters about about this dimension of prayer, of how it's been helpful to them. And it is this. The Jewish world used uh, set prayers at set times. So not only sacred rhythm of time, but a sacred rhythm of words. And that is, 
Jews began their day or ended their day, depending on how you want to look at it. But they start in the evening and then in the morning and at midday. Um, and it's not entirely clear, but I think this is the way I would describe it. They prayed the Shema, Hero Israel, the Lord our God, etc., from Deuteronomy 6 and, and the book of Numbers. Um, they prayed the Shema two or three times a day. And on top of that, they would have prayed, um, they would have recited the Ten Commandments. We learned this from the Nash Papyrus, that these two things were joined. And then on top of that, they would have prayed um, spontaneous prayers of petition and request and intercession. And they had a model of this, and we know it from later evidence from the Babylonian recension and also from the Jerusalem recension, that they prayed a prayer that we now call Hatepilah or Shimona Ezra. It was just a standard prayer, a set of 18 prayers and benedictions that they prayed. We don't know that they prayed this every time. We don't know that they prayed this two times a day. We don't know that they prayed this one time a day, but it becomes a standard dimension for us perceiving Jewish prayer that they had recited prayers to recite the Shema, to recite the Ten Commandments is to remind them that they are to love God and that they are to observe the commandments as an expression of that love and that they were to pray certain topics. On top of this now, we know that Jews, uh, many observant Jews would have had the whole book of Psalms memorized. And these would have become typical prayers. The wordings, uh, the words of those prayers would have become like lightning flashes of words to say in certain circumstances, the way people who know the book of Psalms today know how to use those words at the right time because they bring to expression exactly how they feel. And, you know, I don't have the book of Psalms memorized. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm not embarrassed by this, but uh, let me tell you a story. Chris and I were one time in Norcia, Italy, and uh, it's a sad story to tell you uh, about the church I'm going to talk about now, is that that church was recently destroyed in an earthquake. Oh, so in some sense, I'm, I'm grateful that we've been there. I'm saddened by what happened to the church. Uh, it was just demolished, and I don't know if it will ever be rebuilt. I, I haven't followed the story in the last, few, last week, but we were in Norcia. And uh, I had already, Chris and I had both already begun using prayer books. And so uh, in the morning, we had used the prayer book before we went to Norcia. And we were in the back of this church on a hot, muggy day. And it was cool and filled with the smell of incense. Um, and we were cooling off. We're the only ones in the entire church. And suddenly uh, broke out a beautiful uh, song that was being chanted and sung by monks uh, who were Benedictine monks, of course. And I became intensely curious as to where they were. And eventually I discovered that they were in the crypt. And, and that's a longer story that has some funny dimensions to it, but I'll ignore that now. But we were, we were in this, we were in this church and we hear this, these monks chanting and they were chanting in Latin. And because I knew it, just a little bit of Latin or enough Latin, I knew they were chanting from Psalm 119, which Chris and I were, had prayed that morning. Uh, and so we knew, I knew exactly the words they were using. So uh, 
As I sat there at the back of the church and listened to these monks chant, I realized that they chant by memory in Latin. None of these are natural Latin speakers. They chant by memory in Latin the entire book of Psalms every week. Wow. And so it is not beyond our capacity to memorize those Psalms. And if they know what they're saying in Latin, and I assume they do, whenever a a situation arises, those Latin words are going to come to mind very naturally because they've mastered the book of Psalms. So this, this, is, this is the beginning of a prayer life, in my, in my judgment. And it is this, to master the, the sacred times and the sacred words of the Jewish tradition. And that is this, I think we need to master the Shema. I think also we need to learn the Lord's Prayer. Because the early Christians prayed the Lord's Prayer three times a day, probably as a replacement of the Jewish Shema, uh, Shemona Ezra. So they would have prayed the, I, I, I think they would, may have well have prayed the Jesus Creed, which adds love your neighbor to yourself every day. They would have prayed the Lord's Prayer every day. And on top of that, they would have added their petitions because the Lord's Prayer functioned as a way of stimulating things to pray for. When you say, give us this day our daily bread, you're naturally uh you naturally, your mind wanders to those who are in need. When you mm-hmm. pray for temptation, you pray for your children and, and for friends and for yourself. And, and all these things are naturally stimulating of, of prayer petitions for other people. So I think we need, and we also need to learn the book of Psalms. And I read the book of Psalms, but I, I don't spend a lot of time memorizing Psalms. It's just never been a, a big part of my own uh, personal spiritual practice. So sacred times, uh, Chaz, is what we learn from Jesus and sacred words. That's good. And I, think, and I think this helps us in our prayer life. It gives us a push start, as it were. Yeah. You know, Scott, this description that you've laid out of sacred prayers at sacred times and, and how that was the Jewish approach and how um, we can have a similar Christian approach with the Shema and Lord's Prayer and the Psalms, um, you laying that out sounds a lot different from the way prayer life and and habits have often been described to me and i think a lot of christianity understands especially protestant christianity understands it today so with this description of uh the jewish world and how they use prayers at set times and set prayers at those times how do you see prayer functioning for them in that way well, it, it, I think the first thing is uh, it gave them uh, the heart of God as revealed in Scripture and revealed in prayers that, that express that Scripture. It gave them the heart of God about what God wants people to pray about. And, and so it spiritually formed them by, by drenching them and soaking them in, in the prayers of the Bible. So they immediately plug into uh, how their people have prayed through, uh, throughout time and which prayers their people have valued as time. So they became, in that sense, conservative prayers. And, and it, was, it was conservative in this sense that they not only prayed those prayers, but they, those prayers gave them the stimulus for praying for their own concerns. So here's what I would say with, uh, with young Christians in the church, in teaching them to pray. 
First thing I would teach a young Christian to pray is the Lord's Prayer. And I would say, pray this two or three or four or five or more times a day. The second thing I would teach them to pray is the Jesus Creed. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and all your strength. And the second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. I would teach people to pray this and then say this to them. As you pray this or after you pray this or these, let your mind wander to the people, to the concerns that your heart feels as a result of hearing these. And in this way, our prayers begin to be shaped by Jesus's own prayer that he taught his disciples to pray, and they would be taught and they would be shaped by the deepest concern in the teachings of Jesus that we become lovers of God and lovers of our neighbors as ourselves. And then I would teach people, and I would I, I would say, for a year or two, if you can if you can do this, get people just to to baptize themselves in that prayer life of the Lord's Prayer and the Jesus Creed. Then the second level of prayer for young Christians is to learn to pray the book of Psalms and to pray it according to the time schedule that people have, uh, to pray it through from beginning to end and then start all over again, and then uh, and let those prayers stimulate further requests. And only then would I encourage people to go to prayer books like Phyllis Tickle's Marvelous uh, Divine Office or Stanley Hauerwas's prayers, or Walter Brueggemann's prayer. People have written out their prayers. Um, and I, I would encourage people uh, to learn to pray the Lord's Prayer and the Jesus Creed as the deepest dimension and the foundational dimension of Christian prayer. That's good, because, you know, I think a lot of times when we approach prayer, we come at it from that last step that you suggested of um, coming to God with our cares and our concerns instead of mm-hmm. letting ourselves be shaped um, by the cares and concerns of God and and allow that to, to shape how we come to Him with those. And, you know, here's what I found, Chaz, in talking with people who uh, who come to me in a sense, treating me as a pastor with spiritual concerns about their prayer life is that they, is that they get worn out mm-hmm. is that, and they feel like they're just saying the same thing every day over and over and over. In other words, it becomes a matter of self generating prayers. Mm-hmm. Well, our self does not generate the depth and width and height of the prayers that are found in the Lord's Prayer, in the Shema, or the Jesus Creed, or in the Book of Psalms, or in the prayer books of the church, like uh, in the Book of Common Prayer in the Anglican Church, Mm -hmm. which has some absolutely glorious prayers called collects. And so I, I would say that if you're discouraged with prayer, find a prayer book, start using the Lord's Prayer, start saying the Shema, Start praying the book of Psalms. And uh, I cannot tell you at this point, then, the number of people who've written me and said that it was revolutionary for their life. Uh, I've, called, I've had people write me, two or three people say they were healed of a physical illness unintentionally, in a sense, 
because they began to pray some of the prayers in the book of Psalms, hmm. the Lord's Prayer, the Shema, and books uh, and and prayers in books of prayers. So they they just it just opens up the floodgate for them. It opened up the gates and they suddenly found the spirit of God rushing in their life because they were given words to say that were deeper in their heart than they had their own words to say themselves. Yeah, I think that shows the real importance. But you know, with that, uh, even with this approach, there are going to be times when we come to God with our cares and concerns and it's going to seem like he's not answering them in the way that we hope and desire, or maybe that he's distant and that he's not hearing those and and that uh, it's not coming to fruition in our life the way that we had hoped when we came to God with those prayer. Uh, in those times, anything that you have for us to, to kind of help wrestle with that and embrace when those times happen? Yeah, I think that, and this is very common, Chaz, and anybody who says that it's a sign of spiritual aridity or a spiritual death is making a, a crucial mistake. Nearly everybody goes through spiritual dryness in their prayers. But remember this, uh, we pray even when we don't feel like it. We pray when we don't want to. We pray even when the words don't seem to make sense. Why? Because in those prayers, the Spirit of God is interceding for us mm -hmm. and taking our times of dryness and sending uh, arrows of communication into the throne room of God where Christ becomes our intercessor and the Spirit interceding with us uh, in our hearts. So we learn in the Bible that it is not dependent upon how we feel, but that it is in the doing of these prayers. It is in the acting of these prayers. It is in the reciting of these prayers that we open ourselves to the grace of God and to the spirit of God to renew us. And it may take months. It may take weeks. It may take days. It may take years. Many saints in the church witnessed to the fact that they went through very difficult times in their prayer life. Mm -hmm. if, if that is the case with, with some of the great prayers of the church, it will certainly be the case with us. I know it has been the case with me. And I found the Book of Common Prayer, and I found the Jesus Creed, and then the Lord's Prayer, to, for me to be the awakening instruments of my own prayer life. So I would, I would just say, when you feel like you're not communicating, you are. When you feel like you don't feel like it, you, uh, the Spirit is doing the feeling in our, our non-feeling. Mm -hmm. that when we think we're not striking pay dirt with God listening, God is listening far more than we ever imagined, and maybe even listening more in those moments uh, when we think God is, uh, is not listening. So I, I believe that these prayers are a gift of God to us, uh, and I also believe in the prayer books of the church are a gift of God to us. They're not inspired but they are the wise reflection of Christians who've learned how to pray, uh, and they can guide us in our own prayer lives. Yeah, you know, I love uh, how we've talked today, how the burden— it's not supposed to be a burden to pray. I mean, there there are seasons of, of difficulty and dryness that we go through, and, and um, we pray during those times, but um, it, it's— 
we have gifts, like you said, to be able to to guide us and in, in our prayers. And um, it kind of reminds me, you know, what I think Jesus is talking about in the Lord's Prayer of us not, um, you know, supposing to to babble and to go on and on. And um, and it's I think because he's highlighting the the direction that our prayers are to go, and it's the importance being that these are directed to God. And um, reminded of a. Uh, an illustration I think is Tim Keller who uses about faith and that um, the important thing about faith is uh, it's the direction, it's the object that we have our faith in. And he talks about how it's like flying. You know, you have to have a certain amount of, of faith in the airplane and all its functions and the pilot who's flying it to be able to get on the plane. Um, but to be able to reach the destination isn't necessarily as much about the amount of faith that you have, but the fact that you have the faith to get on the airplane. And uh, I guess, I don't know, just listening to you talk, it kind of reminds me of faith as well. It's our prayer life as well. Yeah, that yeah. It's I, about I the direction. Right. It's about, you yeah. know, the, the power behind the object of which we're praying to. You know, and, and I agree with you is that in the spiritual dryness, it is that you say, look, I, I believe in prayer. I believe God is listening to me. So I'm going to talk even if I don't feel it. Uh, let me give you another example. Uh, I believe that this election season has created um, one of the all-time highest periods of whining and complaining mm. in the American public. Totally agree. All right. All right. Now, if you open up the book of Psalms and you read approximately Psalms 1 through 50, and you do it, let's say, in a two-hour period, you are going to discover that David is one of the all-time greatest whiners in the world. Uh, and that we have in the book of Psalms a collection of Psalms that are often called Psalms of Lament. Now, I would like to suggest that that the whining and complaining of Americans about candidates, let's just drop it right there. Uh, if they just turn those, those whinings and complaints and laments about our nation, about our situation, just turn slightly toward God, they, all those complaints suddenly become prayers. Mm. And, and that, I think, is one of the secrets to prayer, is that God is listening. God knows our thoughts. You can't go anywhere without God knowing them. And instead of secularizing whining and thinking that it's a closed universe, if we would just sort of open ourselves toward God about our laments and complaints and whinings about our candidates and now our president-elect or former president, you know, I don't, I don't care who you want to complain about. We've suddenly turned, turned our worries and concerns into prayers. And to me, this is, this is heartening is that God is listening, that we, we can say these things before God in faith. And we believe that God will hear, hear us and acknowledge that, uh, you know, I, I, he's saying, I know what you're saying. I, I know the situation. Uh, we're going to get through this, and I want you to stick with me. And we're going to be transformed in the process as yes, well. Yes, that's right, because we've turned it toward God, and we are expressing the deep pathos of God as well. So to me, uh, um, Chaz, when you ask the question, 
about how did Jesus pray and what do we learn from Jesus about prayer. Uh, the big points I would make is he prayed at set times and he prayed with set prayers that stimulated spontaneous prayers. And we need to begin where Jesus began. And I think it can, it can uh, renew our prayer life. Absolutely. Any other closing thoughts before we end our time together today? No, I'm, uh, I'm satisfied with this idea of set prayers at set times as a form of stimulating spontaneous prayers on our part with the confidence that God is listening to us. Great. Well, hey, thanks for joining us today. Uh, we so appreciate uh, how you engage with us in this podcast and are able to, to listen and share on social media, as well as subscribe um, with whatever uh, podcast listening tool that you're using. So thanks so much for joining us today. We hope you enjoyed the conversation on learning to pray like Jesus. And we look forward to be with you next time as we continue our conversation on how the kingdom took root then and how it's taking root now. Now.